What a blessing to feast in spirit. We'll feast on soup and sandwiches in a minute, but I like to have my spirit fed. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. And then if you want to find another place in Jeremiah, you'll find Jeremiah right after the book of Isaiah. So we'll go to Isaiah 41 and Jeremiah 29, if you want to find your place there. Be much in prayer for the the Dowell family this morning. I know you are, and I appreciate all of our officers. I think I counted a dozen uh, police officers here, either retired or active, and I appreciate you guys uh, more than you know. I appreciate all of our public and our civil servants. They are our everyday heroes. Amen. And uh, we ought to lift them up in prayer. Isaiah chapter 41, and we don't, we'll begin reading in just a minute. I want to bring you a message this morning. Really felt led to go here. I preached a message several years ago entitled Blessed Assurance. But this morning, I just want to preach a message just entitled simply Assurance that will go in a whole different direction. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as we gather in the house of God, I pray that you would remove every hindering spirit. I pray you'd remove every thought that's against Christ, that's against the Word of God. Help us now to just come in and settle in and be fed from your table. Thank you for that great song, and thank you for the testimony of Jake. I appreciate him. And then, Father, would you just, uh, just use us for your glory as we leave this place today. May we just be assured, and may we be settled, and may we walk in the confidence that Jesus Christ does love us, that he has forgiven us, and that we can have blessed assurance. Bless each one that's come this way, in Jesus' name, amen. May I say to you before we read in just a moment that it is a blessing to be assured. We live in a world that is uncertain, amen? We live in a, our, our political world is uncertain, our, our uh, economic world is uncertain, our physical world is uncertain. But I'm glad to report to you this morning that I have some blessed assurance, some assurance from Jesus Christ, from assurance from the Word of God. I'm glad this morning I'm not on sinking sand. I'm on the rock of Jesus Christ. And boy, it's a blessing. No wonder Fanny Crosby wrote the song, Blessed Assurance. Matter of fact, uh, a lady came to Fanny Crosby and, and the Lord had given her this tune. And she went in to just play the tune to Fanny Crosby. And she said, Fanny, does this tune speak anything to you? And Fanny said, yes, it does. I hear the words from that tune. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. What a blessing in uncertain times to have the assurance of salvation. There's not a greater peace on the face of planet earth to know that you know in your heart that you've settled your salvation with the Lord Jesus Christ, that you've settled your heart in the Word of God, that is settled for all of eternity, and that you are resting and trusting in the finished work of Calvary. That is a blessing. Praise God. Peace and uncertainty cannot dwell in the same house. There's not a greater peace on planet earth than to know Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Money in the bank will not give you peace because the Bible says that riches make themselves wings and fly away toward heaven. You can have it today and it'll be gone tomorrow. 
You can have health today. You can walk out of the doctors. And doesn't it feel good to go to the doctor and walk out with a good report? And they say no further treatments or they say, but listen, I hate to break in on us, but that's only temporary. The best report from the doctor may give you peace, but it'll only be a temporary peace. You could go on vacation and just relax and have such a good time, but I hate to tell you, vacation's in. But may I tell you something this morning? There's something certain in this world. I hold in my hand what the Bible says is a more sure word of prophecy. I'm glad for some certain ground in a shaky world. I'm glad there are some things, friend, that that we can find in this book that gives us the assurance of God. What is that, preacher, that God sent his son? That God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. He gave his son. That God has allowed the Lord Jesus Christ to die a sacrificial death on our behalf. That to know that we have responded to the clarion call of God that says repent and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a blessing this morning. So uh, we have responded to this clarion call. We've repented. We've received. We're redeemed. But oh, listen. Sometimes... We don't make personal application of what God has done for us. I have been guilty of this in the past. Sometimes we, we suffer, I guess, doubts and fears. We, we suffer that we, we wonder at times if we really meant business with God, if we're really saved. And may I say to you this morning, there is a wonderful assurance in the Word of God when you nail it down that Jesus Christ loves me. He loves you. You have to nail that down. So often we think in general terms that Christ, oh, Christ died for the sin of the world. But wait a minute. He died for you individually. It's easy to look across the aisle and say, oh, I I know that Christ died for them and that his blood will cleanse them. But what about me? D.O. Moody said this a long time ago. He said, the great trouble is that people take everything in general. They do not take it to themselves. Suppose a man should say to me, Moody, there was a man in Europe who died last week and left $5 million to a certain individual. Well, I say I don't doubt that. It's a rather common thing to happen, and I don't think about it anymore. But suppose he says, but he left the money to you. He said, then I pay attention. He said, I say to me, yes, he left it to you. I become suddenly interested. I want to know all about it. So are we apt to think that Christ died for sinners. He died for everybody, but nobody in particular. But when the truth comes to me that eternal life is mine, and all the glories of heaven are mine, I begin to be interested, and I say, where's the chapter, where's the verse that it says that I can be saved? If I put myself among sinners, if I take the place of the sinner, then salvation becomes mine. What a blessing to, to, to know that Jesus Christ died for me personally. What a and listen, you, you say, what are you preaching on? I'm preaching on assurance. You will never have assurance saying Christ died for the world, but he didn't die for me. Glory. He died for me, and he died for you. And friend, if you were the only one left on planet Earth, Jesus Christ would have loved you enough individually as a person to die for you. When you nail it down personally, that is, I need to repent personally, I need to trust him personally, then you can have blessed assurance. Glory. Listen, if God sees the individual sparrows... 
If God sees the individual blades of grass, does he not see me? If he said he sees the sparrow when he falls, if he said the very hairs of our head are numbered, does he not see us? I tell you, friend, that Jesus Christ sees every blade of grass in every cow's mouth. Amen. He sees every worm in every robin's mouth. You say, preacher, how can God track so much? Well, listen, look around. How can man track so much? There's, a, there tech, there's technology available today. The uh, Europeans are injecting chips in their dogs, and they can track one billion animals within 10 feet of where they are. Man can do that. What can God do? You better believe every word will be accounted for, friend. Every action, every footstep, every hand swipe, every thought of my heart has been recorded. Wow. You say, how can God do that? God is a spirit. And he can record the spiritual things. Man can record the physical things, but he can record the spiritual things. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. With all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. You're in Isaiah 41. Let's read verse number 10. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, affirmative. I will help thee, yea, affirmative. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Boy, that'll tell you something this morning, friend. That's assurance. That God is affirmative. God is positive. God wants to aid us. God wants to help us. God wants to save us. God wants to lead us in the right way through the precious Word of God. God wants to forgive us on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. God wants to bless us. Let me give you some things. I may go into teaching mode here. I printed these out about eight little things several years ago. When my life was so busy, I was pastoring, I was working, I was farming, I had three small children, and believe me, there was not a minute to spare. My life had to run at that time like a well-oiled machine. I was often stressed, often stressed for time, often stressed j just to get to the next place. Uh, meals, I had to grab a pack of nabs on the run a lot of times just to have a meal. And I read these things, these eight things, and they spoke to me. And I, I printed these out, and I pulled out the desk drawer at my desk at work, and I put these in my desk drawer uh, as a printout. And occasionally, when I would just seem so pressured and so stressed and have so much to do and so much anxiety, I would read these. And I thought, one day I'll like to preach on these. And boy, here we go. Let me give them to you, and then I'll preach through five or six of them. God reassures you. Satan frightens you. God leads you, but Satan pushes you. God enlightens you, but Satan confuses you. God forgives you, but Satan condemns you. God calms you, but Satan stresses you. 
God encourages you, but Satan discourages you. God comforts you, but Satan worries you. And every time I'd look at that category and I would be either confused or frightened or stressed or worried, I'd say, wait a minute. In the column that all this fits under, it is the work of the devil. And I would look at the other column and I would say, oh, there's reassurance. There's enlightenment. There's forgiveness. There's encouragement. There's comfort through the Lord Jesus Christ. And boy, it would, it would give me some strength and it would help me to, to clarify where my life was and to move on for the glory of God. Let me get, let's just preach to about five or six. God reassures you, but Satan frightens you. Now, I've already preached on the assurance of God, so we'll, we'll skip to the Satan frighten you for this one point. We've already read here in Isaiah 41 that the Lord says, hey, I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you with the right hand of my righteousness. But I'm going to tell you about what Satan will do. He'll, he'll want you to live your life in fear. Fear will paralyze you, friend. Fear will cause you to live your life in a paralytic form. Fear will cause you to make the wrong decision. Fear will cloud your judgment. It will steal your joy. It will cause you to live in torment. It will cause you to lose your certainty, your certitude, your assurance of life, your assurance of salvation. The devil wants you to walk in fear and make fear-based decisions. Let that sink in now. Studies show, I'll look this up. Studies show that 80% of our decisions are fear-based not target-based, not goal-oriented. They're fear-based. I'm afraid if I don't do this, what will happen? I'm afraid to move jobs. I'm, I'm afraid I, I won't do well financially. I'm a, and, and fear keeps us paralyzed. Or fear causes us to make wrong decisions. May I say to you, the devil wants to keep you living in fear so you won't serve God. The devil wants to keep you living in fear so you won't make the right decisions for your life. Hey, friend, get out of that fear-based decision and pray about what God wants you to do. Pray about the fears that you face uh, and overcome those fears. Fear pushes us into making a decision. It won't let us move forward. We ought to make our decisions in the will of God. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's will begins with a consciousness. God gives me his will in my conscience, and his will must become my will. My conscience must bring it to my will, and my will must bring it into action. God, help us when God makes us conscious of his will to bring it into our will and into action. May I say to you this morning that God will never send you where he will not protect you. God will never ask you to do something that he has not done himself. God, the, the old saying is so true. If he brings you to it, he will bring you through it. Number two, God re number one, God reassures you, Satan frightens you. Number two, God leads you, Satan pushes you. There is a vast difference between being led and being pushed. 
I wrote these down myself. I thought, I'm going I'm to come up with five things that a leader does and five things that a pusher does. I think this will help us not only on a job, not only in our life, but it will help us to look at these five things in our spiritual life. The leader is in the front. The pusher is in the rear. Where is God? He's in the lead. Where is Satan? He's always pushing you. Amen. He's always rushing you. He's always stressing you. The leader has a vision. The pusher has his own agenda. The leader carries a compass. The pusher carries a whip. The leader knows where he's going. The pusher is easily agitated and lost. A leader has a plan. He knows how to coach toward that, the execution of that plan. But a pusher just wants it done. You know what the devil is? He's a pusher. You feel yourself constantly strained and stressed and pushed. The source of that is not God. That's a great lesson. You better mark that down somewhere. Because we're living in a world that wants to push us and stress us and keep us in anxiety. And God wants to give us peace and joy. He wants to give us that blessed assurance. Huh. Is Jesus Christ in the front? Listen to what he said in John chapter 10, verse number 2. But he that entereth by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. You can't drive sheep. You'll scatter them. They have to be led. And they have to be led by a shepherd who knows how to feed them, direct them, lead them, care for them, love them, doctor them. Amen. If you push them, you can drive cattle. You can even drive turkeys. I've seen that. But you can't drive sheep. They have to be led. I'm going to tell you something. God's a leader. You cannot go where he's not been. You cannot feel pain that he has not already felt. You cannot be tempted beyond, by, beyond what he has been tempted. For he was tempted into all points like as we are, yet without sin. Thank God. Satan pushes. The devil loves to pressure you. Put pressure in your life. You know what pressure does? It causes this fight or flight mechanism. When you get pressured, you either want to pull up and put up your dukes, or run. And it's in those situations when the devil puts the pressure on that you will make the wrong decision. I remember my mom was canning green beans one day. She had one of them double canners. I don't know how many quarts of beans it held. And we felt the whole house rocking. The thing had stopped up and the pressure was building. She began to scream, and she went into this fear, put her into this paralyzed mode, and she was standing right in front of the stove and the pressure cooker going to get blown all to pieces. And I remember my dad came running out of the bathroom. He ran to the kitchen and saw what was going on, and he ran right out the back door. <laughs> Fight or flight. The devil wants us to put us in that, wants to put us in that position so we 
Make a rash decision. J. Hudson Taylor, the great pioneer missionary to China, said this. It matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. If we make sure that it never comes between us and our Lord, then the greater the pressure, the more it pushes us toward Him. Isn't that a blessing? So God, let's do number three quickly. God enlightens you and Satan confuses you. The devil loves to cause confusion. Darkness compounds confusion. The mind doesn't work right. Reason is abandoned. Satan loves to work in areas of confusion. I've often said this on Wednesday night, but I need to say it on Sunday morning. There's an old saying that says, if the creek is muddy, go upstream and get the hogs out. Let that sink in now. What's going on when your life is confused? It's, it's muddy. You don't know which way to turn. There's no clarity of thought. I'll tell you what's wrong. There's some hogs in the creek. Hogs of sin. Amen. There may be some hogs of sin. There's some hogs of disobedience. There's some hogs of rebellion. There's something upstream that's between you and God that's causing confusion in life. May I say to you, this book says that God is not the author of confusion. That's the book. If there's confusion, if there's muddy water, there's something wrong. Amen. God gives assurance. David said, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what a lamp unto my feet is? It illuminates what's right around my feet. It's a light unto my path. It illuminates just a little bit further out. Hey, friend, I don't have to see the whole road map if I'm following the one who knows the road map. Bible says, and I will bring the blind by the way that they knew not, and I will lead them in paths that they've not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do and not forsake them. What are you saying, preacher? I've got assurance this morning. I'm not living in confusion. I'm not living with the creek muddy. You know why? Listen to me carefully. If you, if you miss everything I say, the Lord gave me this this morning as I opened my Bible to the book of Daniel. A clean heart will give you a clear mind. Let me say that again. A clean heart will give you a clear mind. God forgives you and Satan condemns you. You see, Satan wants to provoke you into making that rash decision. And then once you make that wrong, rash decision, he'll take that action and he'll poke you with it for the rest of your life. He won't let you forget. He's the accuser of the brethren. But I like Romans chapter 8. The Bible says, There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, which walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He may have caused me in the past to make a wrong decision, to make a rash decision, to make a decision under pressure that was against the will of God. But i got news for that rascal. I have a God that can go upstream and get the hogs out. I have a God who can wash me in His blood and take my condemnation and take my sin and nail it to His cross and give me a spirit. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
Kick the devil with that, praise God. Oh, my. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Let's close the message. My time has gotten away completely. This feels like five minutes. God calms you, number five. God calms you and Satan stresses you. Stress, I like this little saying, it's not mine, but I like it. Stress makes you think that everything has to happen right now. And faith emphasizes that it will happen in God's time. I tell you, to a person who was stressed, these, these were some great little sayings for me. To a person who was stressed, thinking I was in the will of God, amen, pastor in a church, I mean like, Lord, I'm trying to do it all here. And it helped me to read these little things and understand the source sometimes of my stress. It was not God giving me too much to do. It was Satan poking me. Amen. If God calls you to do something, he'll give you strength to do it. Amen. If God calls you to do something, he'll give you the, he'll equip you to do it. So the Bible says in Joshua 1, 9, as we close, the Bible says, Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, be, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. Be strong and of a good courage. That's in spirit. That's in heart. He said, neither be dismayed. The dismay is confusion or conf being confounded in mind or being afraid in mind. Hey, God is saying, have a strong heart. Have a strong will. Have a strong mind. Hey, get in my will and I'll strengthen you for what's ahead. <laughs> the last thing we're going to look at, God steals you, but Satan rushes you. The Bible says that Moses had come to the Red Sea. We've looked at that several times. And he had the Red Sea in front of him. He had Pharaoh's armies behind him. He was pressured. He was stressed. The time limit was running out. I mean, the armies were closing in. There was more than anxiety than you can imagine. And Moses said this unto the people, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will shoot you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them no more forever. God comes to a point, and we come to a point in God's will where God says, that's it. That's enough. I'm done with this. We're through with it. Move on with your life. Stop being pushed. The Bible says in Proverbs 19, too, talking about being in a hurry, living life in a hurry. Eating that pack of nabs on the run. That the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. <laughs> if you're always in a hurry, you're apt to make mistakes. If, and, and listen, huh. he that hasteth with his feet sinneth? That's something, to, if I understand my Bible right, sin is something to be repented of. And if we live our life in a constant, I mean, there are times when you've got to hurry, man. I mean, there is. There's a, there's a time when you need to step up and move. 
But if you live life like that, it'll wear on you, friend. There has to be time spent along with God. There has to be some solitude time on the hillside. There has to be some time spent in the barn. Amen. He that lives life in a rush is going to make hasty decisions. We used to. How, many, how long has it been since you heard this saying? I bet you there are some people who've never heard it. Young people, haste makes waste. Hadn't, I hadn't heard that in years. You know why? We're living life in such a big rush and a mess, we don't care. Amen. God steals you. Satan rushes you. I'm going to close with this. The devil wants to get you with so many things on your mind that life just seems so overwhelming, so overwhelmed with so many things that you can't hardly function. The job is stressful, so many things going on in the job. Then the home is stressful, there's lots of things going on in the home. The world is stressful, it seems, wherever you go, you hit the traffic and you get in traffic and some Christians I know drive like demons. <laughs> <laughs> life gets so confusing your mind floods and you make rash decisions the bible says in ecclesiastes 5 2 be not rash with thy mouth and let thine heart be not hasty to utter anything before god for god is in heaven and thou upon earth so therefore let thy words be few as we close the message here there is something that is called that pilots experience and it's, it's, I'm likening this to being overwhelmed. I, uh, several years ago, I took several uh, uh, pilot's lessons, and I piloted several different planes, and I found out I didn't have enough money to fly as a poor man, so I quit. Amen. But there's something that a pilot needs to learn. Most airplanes crash because of pilot error. It's called cockpit error. Cockpit error comes. Don't miss this. I'm closing. This is a great, great point to close us out. The plane crashes because of cockpit error. 85% of airplane accidents are because of cockpit error or pilot error. The mind gets so busy with, with failures of instruments and the instrument malfunctions, weather conditions, cabin pressures, uh, mechanical failures, things that went wrong on the ground, too many things to track, and, and the pilot becomes trying to track all these things that are going wrong with his plane, and he makes the wrong decision, or he stands in indecision, and the plane goes down. Spiritually, the devil wants your mind so loaded. Amen. I'm going to kick him right in the teeth. He wants your mind so loaded, so worried, so anxious that you either make the wrong decision. Or you stand in fear and indecision while the plane goes down. God steals you, but Satan rushes you. Now, you say, preacher, what do you do to keep the plane from crashing? In every, almost in every instance of when the plane crashed, and they go back and the aviation department does a study, the pilot failed to follow standard operating procedures. SOPs, if you're a military man. 
standard operating procedure. For every malfunction, there's a standard operating procedure. For everything that goes wrong, there's a standard operating procedure. And may I say to you as we close, in the Christian life, I'm holding in my hand a standard operating procedure. And the devil, listen to me, if I, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you, I love you. But if you're like me, and I think you are, the devil wants to keep your mind so jumbled with a bunch of junk that's going on in this world that you neglect the book. He wants you so, so mixed up and so confused and he wants you to suffer so much cognitive overload that you overlook the standard operating procedure. What is it, friend? If there's sin in your life, I'm telling you, there's a fountain filled with blood. It'll get rid of that and it'll stop the plane from going down. <laughs> if there's confusion in your life, hey, God is a God of order. If there's order in the cockpit, if there's order in the instruments, if there's order among the pilots, that plane is okay. It's when disorder comes. Is there disorder in your life? God is not the author of confusion, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank God. Bible says this. I'm closing here. Turn with me to Jeremiah 29, 11, and let's read this verse together. Jeremiah 29, verse number 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. I don't know about you, but I get some assurance right here. I can just stop right there and just, and just wallow in the peace of God. <laughs> I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Not a smoking plane and a pile of rubble. Amen. To give you an expected end. May I say to you this morning, your pastor stands before you this morning with peace in my heart, with assurance of where I'm headed, with the Word of God imprinted in the very being of my soul. And you may look at my, you may pass by my casket this very week, but I'm going to tell you something. God's given me an expected end. And when you, when you, if you look, and when you do look in my casket, you say that preacher was assured of something. And I'm sure of it because the God who gave me the assurance cannot lie.